you, Simone, Danny, and everyone else. And I can say this because I have an excellent optometrist, but it's so good to see you. It's just a wonderful thing. Uh, and last week was great because that was the first time we could gather without our masks. And it's certainly what I'm sensing over the next little while, maybe the next month, maybe even the four square metre rule might drop back to two, uh, which would be great. Uh, you've heard lots of things uh, in the year, what a year it's been, uh, and hopefully for those who watch videos, you might have watched a video of last Thursday, where I shared with you that all the services will be back this month, which is good news. It is good news. And so in two weeks' time, uh, our 6pm service will start uh, on the 15th, and then two weeks after that, our 8 o'clock service will be there as well. And I do want to big, uh, give a big shout-out to uh, uh, everyone, but in particular Adele, um, because she has served us so powerfully week in, week out. So thank Adele. And I know those watching online are very thankful. And I do want to also let you know that when the services come back uh, and you register for the services, please understand that, I don't want to use the word, but let's just say, my expectation, what a terrible phrase, you're actually joining to come and serve. We have to rethink all the bands, we have to rethink all the rosters, we have to rethink everything. And so it's not as if you just come back at 6 o'clock and you're here, or back at 8 o'clock, we still have to wipe chairs down, we still have to temperature check and all those things. And so when Adele asks you, uh, could you serve in this, your response will be? Bruce, good on you. And that's the answer. Response, we're happy to hear. We're here to serve, as our dear Lord was. So that's fantastic. Uh, you've got an update from the nomination process in the newsletter as well. Uh, and Danny prayed about that. You also heard me share that uh, I'll finish up the end of the year. I'll be here for Christmas. But just before that, uh, I'll wrap it up on the 20th of December. So you heard me say that. And so thank you for those who've responded and uh, who are uh, mindful of that. Normally, this time of year, we'd actually give you what we would call our kingdom investment document, our budget for the next year. It may or may not surprise you that that's probably a bit of a harder task this year to say, here's what next year will look like. We sort of did that and yeah, and the same for gift day and so it is my hope that over the next week or two we'll have a smaller gift day and we'll probably give you a budget for say the next three to six months of next year. Wisdom would say that is a guide because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. That's certainly a lesson from this year as well. Let me pray as we jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather in more numbers. We thank you for your grace and mercy to us. And we thank you for your word, but more than that, we thank you for Jesus. Father, may it be that we continue to look to him and choose him every day of our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. Choose. Choices are part of life. You and I know that. You've already made choices today, whether you come here or not, uh, what you're going to wear, things like that. You're making choices each day about your activity, what's going on. We're always presented with choices, which is true. Jesus knows that too well. And already, as you've heard Simone read from those two parables, you've had a sense that others too are presented with choices. Probably one of the strangest choices I've heard in the last little day uh, was from Walmart in America. I wonder if some of you have ever been to America and been to Walmart. Great shop but one of the decisions they made about four days ago they decided they'd stop selling guns um, from their counter because they were concerned that post the election no matter who wins they expected civil unrest civil unrest would mean you'd go and break into a shop and of course steal guns so they made the decision a few days we're going to stop that 
Uh, even though it's bizarre in my head, you know, imagine going to Kmart, Fig Tree Grove, and there you are, you know, underwear, kids' toys, etc., guns. Honey, let's pick up an AK-47 just before we go out. Yesterday, Walmart made the decision, oh, there's been a bit of flack from that. All right, we're going to put our guns back on the shelves because the civil unrest has only been in certain spots. And so no matter what happens next week, feel free to come and purchase some weapons. I must admit, earlier this year there were some images from America when COVID was hitting around February, March, April, where many Americans were queuing up to buy weapons from the gun shops. It just, this year's been strange. Anyone think it's been a strange year? Choice, we're always, companies make choices, we're making choices. Uh, chapter 21, the two parables we're going to look at is all about making choices. In fact, uh, the two parables that I'll look at, the two sons and the vineyard, is actually part of three parables. Shane will pick up the third parable next week, which is the wedding banquet parable. And so if you've got your Bibles open there, I'd really like you to have a look at it because uh, chapter 21, it's really very, very powerful. I think it's some of my favourite parables that Jesus shares. Uh, and 21 and 22, as I said, are tied together. This is Jesus' last week. And when you're facing your last week, last month, last two months, there's no time for small talk. That's gone. In Jesus' life, he's got a week to go. So he doesn't beat around the bush. Understand that. And you should say to me, Ian, don't beat around the bush if you've only got a certain time to go. Say what needs to be said. Thank you for that. I appreciate that response. I'll do that, especially those who are online watching at home. Uh, we've seen in our previous couple of chapters, this context is important. And understand, again, that is so true in chapter 21. Verse 23, uh, Jesus entered the temple courts and while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Uh, obviously, they wanted to trap Jesus. They were creating a dilemma for him. On the one hand, if they say, well, it's from God, that's problematic. Because then the question raises, how come you didn't believe that? How come you didn't believe John the Baptist? And of course, if they say, well, it's from men, then of course that just means Jesus and others weren't true prophets, and that's problematic too. And so these, this is the address to the religious leaders of the day. They had troubles of their own, wondering about what was going on. So Jesus turns the table on them in this sense. Um... I'll ask you this one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. John's baptism. Hmm. Uh, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or human origin? They discussed it among themselves, got in a huddle. Uh, great word, by the way. Uh, if we say from heaven, they will, uh, well, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they hold that John was a prophet. So they discussed it, wrestled with it, and then they made a bad choice, it seems to me. Verse 27, they answered, we don't know. Then he said, and you've got to give full credit to Jesus, of course, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. If you can't answer that simple question, then I'm not going to respond. Uh, and so there's this wrestle. He's given them no answer. And he wants them to choose wisely. So he jumps in then at verse 28 of chapter 21 to give them some greater understanding. And he actually these two parables, be very clear, they're a warning parable. So it doesn't seem to me when time is running out and the clock is ticking, it, it doesn't seem to be time for jokes. You really have to get what he's saying. And so he starts off with this very short parable about two sons. 
um, to try to help them understand. Verse 28. What do you think? Uh, there was a man who had two sons. I can relate to that. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Now, often what surprises me, and they respond straight, oh, the first did. They were a bit reluctant to answer the previous question, but here they, it's a pretty obvious answer, I suppose, and so they did, the first one. And the whole conversation here is about the repentance issue. We have two sons, we're blessed. Um... Sometimes we'd say the same thing to the two sons and things like, as parents would, can you clean your room, can you help your mum, can you do dishes? And one son would go and do that. And the second son would sort of debate today, did you mean now? Did you mean to do it when you ask? And then you'd have about a four-hour conversation about what that meant. Uh, you'd lose the conversation as a parent and you'd give up and walk away. And so we know people respond differently and we also get in the picture who the good guy is in this story, if I could say it like that. And the first son, even though he was, mm, no, the sense that, it's the sense of afterward. And so he's thought about it. He's considered. He's understood the question. And afterward, he made a choice. He changes his mind and goes. Compared to, well, let's put Israel and the religious leaders in that second category, compared to all those who just said, sure, yep, I'm in, I'll do it. And of course, what did they do? Nothing. No response. Jesus, even in this situation, is not looking for people to follow him who simply say yes, and their lives reflect no change whatsoever. He's not looking for that sort of follower. He wants lives to be different. And I suppose the religious leaders, they, they know what's going on. And I don't know whether you remember Shawshank Redemption, but there's a point in that where Tim Robbins calls the warden obtuse. It's a great word. <laughs> it's like the leaders are obtuse. And, and don't forget, ancient Mediterranean culture, you'd have the sons absolutely culturally honour the father's request. And to say no. And so what a shock this must be for those who are righteous in their own eyes. And so Jesus wants them to choose to believe. So he wraps this up. He says to them, um, halfway through 31, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, and this must have been even a bigger shock, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And I think what's worse, and even after you saw this, even after you saw lives change, even after you saw the lowest of low make a decision to follow me, even after you watched all of that happening right before your very eyes, you did not repent and believe him. I'm sensing Jesus' frustration, I'm sensing his annoyance, and yet I'm seeing his grace wanting them to change. And again, what a shock. So John the Baptist comes, he preaches, still nothing. 
And this issue about tax collectors and prostitutes is like, wow. Those who are far from God have heard the call of God, have contemplated, have thought through it, and changed and accepted Christ. Uh, Don Carson makes the point in his commentary, it's about they've gone ahead of you, not even if you're going to follow, but you're so far away. Uh, And the picture he's painting in the Pharisees know in their soul about conviction, because if you jump to those last two verses that Simone read, verse 45 and 46, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, uh, they knew what? They knew he's talking about them. He's talking about us. They look for a way to arrest him. This is his last week. Now what's going to happen? But they were afraid of the crowd because the people saw that he was a prophet. Uh, they were concerned. The religious leaders didn't want to change. They were concerned for what others would think about this. It's a strong word. Reading through a guy, an old, old Baptist preacher called Charles Spurgeon. He did a sermon on this a long time ago. He says this, oh, he's preaching powerfully. Oh, beware of saying, as some of you do, I go, sir, while you do not go. I sometimes see sick people who quite alarm and distress me. I say to them, my dear friend, you are dying. Do you have a hope? There is no answer. Do you know your lost state? Oh, yes, sir, they say. Christ died for sinners. Yes, sir, faith gives us grace. Yes, sir, they say. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Spurgeon says, I sometimes wish before God they would contradict me. For if they but honestly had enough to say, I do not believe a word of it. Spurgeon says, I'd know how to deal with them. Than just this yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. And he's preaching this saying, I want you to know I'm full of love for you and for your soul as Jesus is. But only if you change. Only if you allow God to break your heart, which is the sense from the later verses in 41 to 43, so that Christ can rebuild you and give you a future. He says to conclude it, by the grace of God, I will not, don't be an open pretender any longer. Give yourself into those hands that bled for you. Give your hands into that heart that was pierced for you. On this day, Make a decision and submit to Jesus. I think over the years as a preacher, as others here are preachers, we may not have used that. The old language would be fire and brimstone. You know, how dare you say that if you don't accept Jesus, you're going straight to hell. And maybe we've softened our stance on that over the years and thought, well, maybe we shouldn't say that. Maybe we don't think we're sinners anymore, even though Denny prayed about that. Jesus has no qualms about the present and the future state when it comes to accepting Jesus or not as your Lord and Saviour. And maybe there are some people this morning here in this building or watching at home. Maybe you know you've been saying the right thing, but you know you've been doing the wrong thing. And maybe you also know that you've just been a yes, I'm a Christian, I come to church, but your life in no way shows any reflection of change or transformation. And maybe today as you hear this word, you might say, I don't want to be like the second son. I don't want to be like the Israel leaders who just say, yes, sir, and do nothing. 
Uh, let me tell you directly, because there's one above me, and maybe uh, you can see that on the screen, but the clock is ticking. Well, actually, that's, you know, it's not really ticking, in case you're wondering. I can't hear it tick, But it is ticking. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, wow, Sean Connery passed away. He passed away at 90 overnight. Well, I've got, gee, I've got years to go before I have to do any business with God. All the best with that theory. All the best with knowing what tomorrow brings in your life, because I don't. If you do, wow. You don't know that. Jesus wants them to change, and he does this. Which Shane will pick up his reading, and I know you read ahead. I know you can read through Matthew 23 about the woes, and he's, Jesus is quite direct in his last week. Uh, you know, the hypocrite language is used powerfully. And he says in Matthew 23, you must be careful to do everything they tell you. This is the leaders, but they do not do what, uh, but don't do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They are type heavy, cumbersome lives. This is Matthew 23, 23. God is requiring productive living from the life we live. Uh, the obedience, and that may be a word that seems to be in the last five to ten years a word we don't like, obedience. You know, Parables like this push for integrity of life as a Christ follower. What's that phrase? W words are cheap. And that's the story here. And yet the hope, of course, is still there that you can change. You can repent. How I miss, personally, our gatherings where everyone would gather. And for those who know me or have watched my style or whatever, often uh, I would stand here and, and ask people to come to Christ to make a decision. And in the last few years, we added something else to that through our communion time. We'd have the rails set up here and I or Shane or others would make appeal for you to come and pray and others here have helped in that. And I'd say direct things to you about, you know your life is not right before Christ. You know there's sin in your life and you know you need to make a change. And I'd say, as you take communion, then come and let's pray. Let's get right with God. And as you've watched that, many men and women have come forward for prayer and their lives have been impacted. And yet we also know, as you know and I know, many others, of course, have sat there with their arms folded, thinking, the last thing I'm going to do is ever let anyone see publicly that I need to change my life. And I've said this month in, month out, as you know. I've not backed away from calling you to make a change. And I wonder about today as you see these two sons, what change do you need to make? And maybe the only one who, needs, who knows that is you. Or maybe your husband or wife. Or maybe others around you. You know, we started off Hebrews this year. Wow, it seems like a lifetime ago. <laughs> Hebrews 3, you can go and check it out later on. Don't. Don't have a stubborn heart. Don't stop hearing God's voice. Move toward that. You know Jesus speaks at the end of Matthew 7 about people at the end of time say, but Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? And he's going to say that most awful of awful things. Depart from me. I never knew you. End of Matthew 7, and then he gives that illustration, of course, about building your house on sand or on a rock. You can't respond. You know it well. If I was clever enough, I'd do the actions, but that'd be too embarrassing, so I won't. Jesus wants them to know there's time to change, but make the change. 
make a decision. There's no more information that the Israel leaders or they need to know about who Christ is, let alone that changed lives. And so they're hearing this and Jesus is going through this and you think, okay, I've got to go a further step. I need to tell another parable. And he wants them to choose hope like I want you to choose hope. And the culture would get what he's saying instantly. And the leaders understand who they are in this second parable. So he goes on further, verse 33. Listen to another parable then. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other tenants, other servants to them. More than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Now maybe you get to this point in the parable and you think, why hasn't the landowner just sent in his army to sort them out? He sent some servants, he sent more. What's the landowner? Last of all, verse 37, he sent his son. You and I know where this is going. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, let's come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, here's the question, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Well, again, good on the religious leaders and those Jesus is speaking to. They know the answer. And so they said back, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. That's an interesting phrase, yes. Uh, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants. Wow, we'll come back to that verse. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants. I'm wondering who you're thinking about right now. So who are the other tenants? Maybe your mind has gone back to Matthew 16 about Christ building his church. Maybe you're still thinking about Matthew 18 in regards to the church issue there. Who are these other tenants? Let's go on. And he will give his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? And now he quotes, of course, from Psalm 118 verse 22. And we know these words because we can also read them in 1 Peter. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it's marvellous in our eyes. And the hearers would have instantly understood the context of that from Psalm 118. And there is again, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. I wonder how many of you remember Acts 4.12. No other name. Remember that language? Jesus, what about Acts 4.11? Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. He's called to choose Jesus. Jesus wants them to understand. We know the focus of this second parable. You've rejected John the Baptist. You've rejected the prophets before him. Now you're rejecting the son. Wow, this landowner slash God is very patient. Very patient. And yet it's a direct word to the leaders of the day. A direct word to God's people. 
And maybe we think sometimes because God seems to be absent for some of us. Maybe we sing a bit middle song. But it's like when the cat is gone, the mice will play. Well, look, the landowner's not here. We've gotten rid of the first set of uh, uh, servants and there was no retaliation. So we can do it again. Let's get rid of the second set of And still nothing. Just like that. And the text has gone to the sun. It's your turn. You're up. And you're thinking, why would you do this? You know, and we got, sometimes we've got to think to ourselves, well, look, it's actually not my church. It's not our church. It's Christ's church. He's building his kingdom. And God is, to me, incomprehensibly kind to his enemies. We know that from reading earlier in Matthew's Gospel. It's like the landowner is too, too nice. He's way too nice. Don't know why he has it. It's like he's just this benevolent landowner. It's okay. You can kill more servants, kill my son. It's okay. And that has our own problem. Um, the religious leaders and those listening, they were seriously in trouble. And understand that when you read words like verse 43, therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Who's it been given to? It's been given to a new community. It's been given to church. It's been given to men and women like you and I. If Israel have rejected Christ, the cornerstone, and now Jesus as the cornerstone is building a new thing, a new community, and you can see that from Ephesians, you can see that from Matthew's Gospel, and he's calling us to be part of that, then we are the people who are called to produce fruit because it's being taken away from them and handed over to us. And I've got to say to you, brothers and sisters, God is incredibly patient and his time is precious. And because he gives us more time, what do you think you do with the more time he gives us? It's more time to repent and change. Too often we think the time he gives us means I can keep doing my own thing. You know, the landowner in this story, nothing happens. So in terms of God, nothing's going to happen. Make no mistake as that parable ends before he jumps to the next parable. Be very clear that the day is coming when we'll all be called to account. It may seem to you and I what's well, not yet. It's not today. What is it? Five to eleven. It's not now. i got all the time in the world. That would be a huge mistake. Don't do that. And those listening to that story knew that Jesus was talking about him. And those today in front of me or online who Jesus is saying to you right now and the Holy Spirit prompting you who, need, who know they need to make a change, you know who you are. The question is whether you're going to make a change and make a choice to make that change. Or whether you're going to continue on the way you are. You see, when you're convicted of something, I think that's what's happened when we call people to pray after communion. They've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. We need to do this now. It is the old language. Don't walk out the building undecided. Walk out decided. Make your decision. Don't delay. You choose. But whatever you do, don't continue to ignore God's voice or the voice of those around you. Because you know what happens? When it comes to a relationship with Christ, when you keep hearing the Spirit of God stirring you, you either listen and respond or your heart keeps getting harder 
and harder and eventually those who love God get to this place I don't understand where they've turned right away from God and I've seen that in my own generation those who years ago were passionate about the gospel passionate about being a Christ follower either as life hasn't turned out the way it is or the kids haven't moved down the right path eventually they just stop listening till they get to a point where they don't listen at all you see, the landowner in this parable, as God did for Israel, he set them up for success. Wine press, built a wall. It was all fantastic. Go, go, go and do it. Produce fruit. Same for Israel. Blessing. You've got laws. I know you might make a mistake, but follow these. The influence Israel I'm giving you is profound. You see, I think, <laughs> to use Gary Chapman's phrase about love language, and hopefully you know each other's love language, I think God's love language is obedience. Just three things he asks of them, three things he asks of us. Honour me as God. Don't worship other gods. Two, obey my laws. Obey who I am. Even if you struggle. And number three, share me with others. Share the good news about who I am. Are you a fig tree, brothers and sisters? The clock still ticks for me. We are the new tenants, like every other church. What do we do with what we have? You know, and what happens when the owner comes back and sees us? What will he do with what we've been blessed with? You know, I cannot stress this enough, church. You know, if we don't produce fruit, I wonder what will happen. You know, isn't it great we can sit back and say, praise the Lord for that tall bloke before me, Rod, he built the building. Yay. And maybe you might say in a weak moment, oh, this Ian paid it off. The next leader, finally, because the next leader will be Jesus in the flesh. We're good to go. We've got a building, no debt, no problem at all. About time we've got a leader who can make it happen. Fantastic. And what about you as the tenants? of the new church where do you fit in with this oh we've got no role at all is that right you have no expectation from the one who's given us all to say produce fruit you see in the life of fig tree every decade there's one hero and I wonder if you know the name of that hero I'll help you out Jesus he's the hero of our story he's the hero of our story way way back He's the hero of our story pre-building, post-building, post-loan. He's the hero of the future. If you forget that and stop hearing his voice, what decision, what choice are you going to make? You don't need more information to make a decision about either coming to Christ, about making a change in your life, or let alone about sharing the good news of Christ. I think there's just three mistakes Israel made, probably more. Mistake one, they got distracted in their life. You know... The social dilemma on Netflix about technology, to me, is all about distraction. All about distraction. And not only that, ah, oh, it's not fair, God, anyhow. Second mistake, we actually think that God's grace and his patience, well, we think he's indifferent. He won't do anything at all. That's a mistake. A mistake three... Grace is unconditionally and unlimited in its scope. Absolutely. 
but it is not unlimited in its duration. A day will come when Christ will call us to account. Don't think you can get away with sin forever. Grace gives you time to repent. And so as I think about now wanting you to choose Jesus, I start to wrap it up. Let me ask you this question. Whose voice now are you not listening to? Is it God's voice who's been prompting you and prodding you and saying, change, repent, turn back? Is it your husband, wife, friend, colleagues? Because there are voices in your life, aren't there? Yes is the answer. There are voices in your life and either you have become indifferent to those voices and you're thinking it's the same old thing. I know what you mean. But you've stopped listening. The day will come very soon. You'll no longer have to listen to my voice. You'll listen to some new person's voice. I hope that makes a huge difference. Maybe then you'll change. You need more time, do you? need more time. More time to what? You know right now, like I do, where you're heading, where you're going, and what decisions you need to take. No more information you need. You've got it all. And if you want to see the gospel multiplied, then we need to make sure we hold on to this. And I want you to choose Jesus. Often, and I don't know why he does this, but often God lets our lives fall apart before he rebuilds it. I just think most people think, my life's pretty good, it'll just get better when I become a Christian. Time and time again I see broken people uh, who need mending of the ones who come to Christ. Tax collectors, prostitutes, those far from God. But don't reject Jesus. Don't do that. Listen to his voice of change. As the band comes up now, understand in this last week of Jesus, those listening to his voice had about 72 hours to decide. To decide what they're going to do. It's his last week. I wonder how much time you give yourself to decide or make a decision. Will you repent and become like the first son? Oh, if only we could mingle. If only I could ask you to come down and get on your knees and accept Christ. But you can't move, so don't do that. If only those at home would understand right now, if you need to change, then how about you're full on your knees in your lounge room? Don't worry about your husband, wife or kids looking at you with weird eyes saying, what the heck are you doing? You've got sore knees, dad or mum. Could you get up? Don't get up. Stay there until you've changed, until you've accepted Christ. Because we're going to sing a song that helps us do that. Three applications, as Greg quietly tickles the guitar strings for me. There are those out there in this building now and those at home who have not yet decided to accept Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And maybe you need more time, maybe you're like the first son in that parable and you've said to yourself, well, no way, but you're hearing the voice of God saying, make a change, make a decision. Oh, I pray that's you because I love the afterward. There's hope in that. There's hope that says come to Christ. There's hope in that for you all as well. I know some of you are thinking no one's going to tell me how to live. I don't think that's just an Australian trait. No one can tell me what to do. Make a decision and live in it. Salvation is free. Praise the Lord for that. 
but don't keep rejecting the offer of grace. Number two, brothers and sisters, let me say this. As your pastor on a fast train to Memphis, there are Christians I know in my life which upset me who say yes and their lives don't change. Don't do that. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've actually, you're living a life, you come to church, even in COVID, and yet you do not make the changes or the transform life that you are required to do. Don't do that. Others are listen to their voice. Change is needed. And I say that because your repentance is real. You can come to Christ. If that's you, and there are voices that have been speaking to your heart and mind, listen to them. Don't block them out. And for Pete's sake, whoever Pete might be, good on him. Don't ignore God's voice. And thirdly and finally, brothers and sisters, I'll say this probably before I move on. Don't live your life based on the good old days. God has blessed this church profoundly. Back in the days of the 80s and 90s when change was occurring and we were learning about evangelism and being trained and going out and many of you have been trained and many of us probably have lost, dare I quote from Revelations, our first love. Do not lose the heart for mission as we move into the future. We are the new tenants. It's been handed over us as church and what? To share the good news about Jesus Christ. Who right now are you doing that with? Don't think it's someone else's responsibility. It's our responsibility. Don't just think the new leader, great, he can make it happen. Never lose your heart for what Jesus has done in your life. May those three things remind you of God's grace as we set sail into 2021. But indeed, as we ask God to take our lives and use it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, for those you are convicting today, help them make their decision wherever they may be. And Father, may they see you with fresh eyes and with fresh strength and fresh love. And Father, we thank you. You call us all home. May we not delay in responding. May we do it quickly, seeing how you have given so much to us. And we ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.